Welcome back to Two Sisters and a TV, the classic TV podcast, which remembers and celebrates all things and everything classic TV. As we continue our journey through 1960s TV, and I hope uh, that you are all enjoying it. We hope that you are all enjoying it as much as we are. Um, today, we're going to take a look at Mission Impossible, which ran on CBS from 1966 to 1973. Uh, Mission Impossible, in my humble opinion, was one of the most intelligent, classy, and sophisticated TV shows in TV history. It was a Desi Lou production, and here's an interesting fact about that. Lucille Ball, who was actually pretty much running Desi Lou by that point in 66, when Mission Impossible came before her as an idea for a new TV series for the fall, she did not understand the show at all. She did not know what in the world they were talking about. She did not get it. But she said that she thought the show deserved a chance. And she thought that somebody would probably like it. And being the very smart, astute businesswoman that she was, it was a great decision on her part. Because Mission Impossible was definitely a staple on CBS for those seven seasons. It reached its highest peak in the ratings during its third season from 1968 to 69. It peaked at number 10 in the Nielsen ratings. Now the show went through a lot of cast changes over that seven season period. We're gonna take a look at that today. But first of all, let's take a look at Mission Impossible in general. The Mission Impossible, which made its debut on September the 17th, 1966, basically showed the exploits of a small team of agents, secret governmental agents, known as the Impossible Missions Force, or the IMF. And their whole goal was to use their sophisticated methods to bring down corrupt leaders and organizations around the world. Because they basically went all over the world with these missions of theirs, especially in the first four seasons. They went to countries all around the world. And they always were a very smart, efficient group. I mean, they were always, I mean, they did end up in some precarious situations during their missions, but they always seemed to be able to pull themselves out very quickly. And um, they always were at least a step or two ahead of the bad guys. Now, as you know, for those of you who are familiar with the show, only the agents themselves were ever seen. Now, the organization, anyone else involved in the IMF, never seen, never heard of. You only heard the voice of the guy who would call and give either Mr. Briggs or Mr. Phelps the directions on the cassette recording, which would always destruct after five seconds. Um, and he would always mention the secretary, that it's a secretary, you know, uh, if any of your force, your IMF force has caught or killed, the secretary would also have knowledge of the fact that, you know, what you're doing, what you've been doing. And I'm paraphrasing that, of course. We never saw the secretary, never knew their name. But that's what made the show, I think, all the more intriguing. The fact that we did not see any of these people. We only heard the guy's voice over the tape. So that definitely added to the intrigue of the, of the show. The show was created by Bruce Geller. He created and produced the series. The theme was created by or composed by Lalo Schifrin. Mission Impossible, the theme song, is my all-time favorite theme song in TV history. It just doesn't get much better than that theme song. And um, I remember back in the 90s, TV Guide had a poll 
of what your favorite TV theme song was, um, you know, of all time and Mission Impossible won. And I remember voting for Mission Impossible myself and I could not agree more with that poll and the results of, of that poll that we all participated in. But let's take a look at the cast of Mission Impossible and all the changes that went on throughout the run of the show. Now, a lot of people to this day are not aware of this, but the show didn't start off with Mr. Phelps. Jim Phelps was not in a part of Mission Impossible from the very beginning. Peter Graves came on board in the second season and he stayed with the show until it ended in 1973. But in season one, you had Mr. Briggs. You had Dan Briggs, portrayed by Stephen Hill. He was the head of the IMF. And I liked Mr. Briggs. I like him a lot. He was really good, a good leader. He was really good involving, you know, had a great rapport with the rest of the team. He was really good in the missions. So I liked Mr. Briggs. I hate it when he left, to be honest. No shade being thrown at Mr. Phelps. Love Peter Graves. I like them equally. I like Peter Graves and Stephen Hill just the same. I like them both just as much. But what happened to Mr. Briggs? Well, um, Stephen Hill was Jewish and he, of course, you know, he couldn't work after a certain time on Friday nights. And so they accommodated that within his schedule, but it seemed as though he always needed to have more and more time off from filming the show. Uh, not sure if that was because of his, you know, um, religion, but it seemed as though he was always having to be gone from the show. And then it got to the point where he didn't want to do certain stunts, certain scenes within episodes. I know there was one particular episode where he had to crawl through some kind of a tunnel or something and he refused to do it. So he became kind of problematic, unfortunately, as the season, you know, wore on, as it, you know, continued on, he became more and more problematic. He was not there as often. Um, Certain episodes, as you get into the latter part of the season, you could kind of tell he was kind of phoning it in, that his heart just wasn't in it, that he just, you know, you could tell he was having problems behind the scenes. Some actors can hide that better than others, but he, I think he did the best he could trying to hide it, but he was not very effective in hiding it. And so after the um, first season came to an end, he was not informed at all, which I think that was a pretty shady move. Um, he was just abruptly replaced by Peter Graves. No warning, no nothing. He just was not invited to come back for the second season. He was just pretty much just unceremoniously dropped from the series, which I think, again, that was a very unprofessional way to handle it. I think they should have tried to sit down and talk with him and work things out instead of just just basically just throwing him out like trash and bringing in somebody new. I think that was really an unprofessional way to handle the situation. And if I recall correctly, and by the way, there is a great, great book about the entire history of the Mission Impossible series. It is called The Complete Mission Impossible Dossier. It was published in 1991. It's written by Patrick J. White. I have two copies of this book. It's just that good. Very thick paperback book. And if you are not familiar with the show, or if you are familiar with the show, or maybe you're kind of familiar with it, 
it's a great book to acquire. I highly recommend it. It's out of print. It can be kind of hard to find. But if you go check places like Amazon, eBay, Abe's Books, BW Books, Burns & Noble, I'm sure you'll find a copy. I highly recommend this book. It tells you everything you want to know and maybe things you didn't want to know or didn't care to know about Mission Impossible. But it's a great book to have. And so uh, if I recall reading that book, I haven't read it in a while, actually. But I remember, if I recall correctly, Greg Morris did not really approve of how they handled the departure of Stephen Hill. I don't think he really, I think he was the cast member who really didn't go for the way that they just threw him out and didn't give him a chance to even try to work with him. They just figured they'd just kick him off the show. I think he was the one who took that the hardest. And I understand that because I don't think they handled it correctly either. But they brought in Peter Graves, and of course he was Jim Phelps. He stayed with the show, as I said, until it came to an end. He was great in the series. He is probably the cast member most identified with Mission Impossible of all the cast members who were part of the show. Um, he definitely had a style, a look, his voice. You know, he's the younger brother of James Arness, was Matt Dillon for many, many years over on Gunsmoke, and they have the same voice. Both very tall guys, and they have the exact same voice. So um, he was great in the series, very fond of Peter Graves. He was perfect in Mission Impossible. Now, of course, by that point, that meant that the cast consisted of Peter Graves, Barbara Bain, Asadamon Carter, Martin Lando as Roland Hand, Greg Morris as Barney Collier, and Peter Lupus as Willie Armitage. Now, Greg Morris and Peter Lupus were the only two cast members to stay with the series for the entire seven years. Barbara Bain and Martin Lando, they were married in real life. They were married for over 30 years. And Barbara Bain, who was Cinnamon Carter, was such a good actress. She won an Emmy for each year that she was on Mission Impossible. And those Emmys were definitely rightfully deserved because she could portray literally, literally any character. Any character they wanted her to portray, she could do it. She did it effortlessly. She could do all these accents and she could do pretty much anything. She was... A, Real asset to that series, very sophisticated and very stylish, very much a fashion icon, very intelligent, very uh, mature, very independent. Um, She definitely, you know, broke the mold when it came to the ladies on the show. Martin Lando was not a... uh, full-fledged cast member until season two and season one he wanted to be able to continue to do other roles so he was listed as a guest star a guest star a special guest star if I'm not mistaken and in season two though he became a regular full-blown cast member now Barbara Bain and Martin Lando stayed with the show until the end of the third season In 1969, at the end of season three, they wanted a pretty hefty raise, but um, they were denied that hefty raise. There were negotiations back and forth, back and forth. Peter Graves said that he assumed that things were going to work out and they'd be back for season four. But unfortunately, that did not happen that way. So they left the series after the third season. Now, a lot of people think that the seat, the series really was not the same without Roland and Cinnamon. 
Rollin and Cinnamon did bring a lot to the table, as I just said. Rollin was, again, Martin Lando, great actor. He could do, again, all kinds of accents and impersonations, and he was just very, very good. Um, They did bring a lot to the table. They really did. But unfortunately, things just didn't work out with the pay raise that they wanted. And so, like I said, they were, you know, they, they left the show. They weren't fired. They quit. Uh, at least that's how I understand it. I don't think they were fired. I think that they just decided not to come back and they, you know, quit of their own free will. So for season four, the series had a definitely, um, you know, was revamped as a replacement for the character of Rollin. Leonard Nimoy, who had been Dr. Spock on Star Trek for three seasons, joined the cast as Paris the Great, or the Great Paris. Paris was a lot like Rollin. He, too, could basically pull off all these disguises and accents and impersonations. He was very brilliant. Leonard Nimoy, in my opinion, was very good in that show. The reason why he came on board so quickly was because Star Trek was also a Desilu production. So it was easy for him to go from one Desilu show to another. So he joined the cast in the fall of 1969. Now, interestingly enough, during that season, there was not a female lead in Mission Impossible. They went through several different actresses on a recurring basis. Some episodes didn't have a female um, at all in the episode. But some of the females who were in episodes of season four were Barbara Luna, Dina Merrill, Michelle Carey, and the probably cast greatest favorite, Lee Merriweather. Lee Merriweather, of course, you know, wonderful actress. She had, you know, been Miss America at one point back in the 50s. She was in the Batman uh, theatrical movie in 1966. She was definitely a very well-known actress. You know, she had been a Today Show girl for a while. She was very well-known. She portrayed Tracy in the episode that she was in. She was in like eight to 10 episodes during the fourth season. Now, the entire cast really liked Lee Merriweather, and she's a very likable lady. You know, she's still with us today. Very sweet, very friendly lady, very adorable, very, very difficult to not like Lee Merriweather. So the cast was really pulling for her. They really wanted her to, you know, become a cast member. They wanted her to be the new female lead in the show. Um, she wanted the part very, very badly herself. She really wanted to be a cast member and to just, you know, join the show permanently. But some kind of way, it, that didn't happen. I don't know why, you know, I, of course, I have the, the, the book and it tells exactly what happened, but I haven't read the book in a while. Um, but I'm not exactly sure why or how negotiations broke down. But she was not cast in the role of the female, you know, uh, lead in Mission Impossible. It's unfortunate because she'd been wonderful in that part. They were really, really pulling for her. All the guys on the show were pulling for her. Unfortunately, it did not work out and they decided to go a completely different route in season five. Season five was the 1970-71 season. And instead of bringing someone on like Barbara Bain, like Lee Merriweather, they went in a different direction. Uh, The show acquired a new producer that season, Bruce Lansbury, took over. And he decided to go in a completely different direction. He decided to cast Leslie Ann Warren 
as the brand new female lead on the show. She was billed at the time as Leslie Warren, and she would be the agent Dana Lambert. Now, there was a lot of drama during that season with the introduction of Leslie Ann Warren. Bruce Geller, of course, who created the series, did not want Leslie Ann Warren at all to be on the series. He was dead set against it. He did not want her to be cast in that part. So she knew from the beginning that she wasn't wanted on the show. This was not a surprise to her. It was not a mystery. She knew from the very beginning that she was not welcome there. She wasn't wanted. So it definitely had an effect upon her attitude because she was known for being rather difficult behind the scenes. Everyone didn't say she was difficult. There were people in wardrobe who said that she was easy to work with. She became very close to Leonard Nimoy in the season they worked together on the show. But she was not a happy camper. And if you look at those episodes from season five and you look at Leslie Warren, you can tell that she didn't look very happy half the time. She just always looked kind of sad. You know, I personally, I like Dana. I love season five. They changed the theme song around a little bit, made it a little bit more updated. Of course, they went back to the original theme song the following season and stayed with it until the show came to an end. But I like Dana. I thought she was really cute, really adorable. Um, I thought that she brought a lot to the table. I thought she was very refreshing. Honestly, I thought she was a breath of fresh air. Just my humble opinion. But I thought she was great. She's very pretty, you know, very attractive woman. Um, I liked her a lot. And I was looking forward to seeing a season five episode because I know I'm going to see Dana. But the cast had issues with her, mainly uh, Peter Graves, because he just said that she looked so young. He said that she looked like a child. And she did look very, very young. She was 23 years old, but she definitely could have passed for someone who was a teenager. She She could have definitely passed for a 17 year old or so. She looked very, very young. And she definitely looked a lot like Peggy Lipton over on Mod Squad. She definitely would have fit in on Mod Squad very, very well. Um, So the cast and Bruce Geller just thought that she looked too young. She was too immature. She looked like a kid. She just didn't look comparing her, putting her next to Peter Graves, Greg Morris, the rest of the cast. She she looked, looked like their little sister. She looked like a kid. And um, she was also, you know, it came to knowledge years later that she was married to John Peters, the um, hair, the well-known hair stylist in Hollywood. She was married to him and they were definitely having a very difficult time within their marriage. And it definitely came out in her attitude. Um, She also did not want to wear a bra. You know, that was, this was 1970 when we were burning their bras all across the country. And she didn't want to wear a bra. So that was an issue. So they had to work with her in regard to her wardrobe choices. She, uh, they wanted to hide her freckles because again, she looks so young already. They wanted to hide her freckles and she didn't want to hide her freckles. She wanted them to be seen. And um, she just was not very engrossed in the role. She said that she didn't like the part, you know, the way that she felt stifled in the role, stifled on the show. So it just wasn't a good fit. It wasn't a good fit for her. It wasn't a good fit for the cast. It uh, wasn't a good fit for the for Bruce Geller. She just was not a good fit for the show. I mean, like I said, I loved her. I think that she was great. Like I said, to me, like I said, she was a wonderful addition. But no one was happy. 
I mean, the cast did try to reach out to her, try to get her to loosen up and, you know, enjoy herself a little bit more. And toward the end of the season, she did begin to get a little more loosened up behind the scenes. She was very uptight behind the scenes. Um, she kept herself a lot. Um, but she began to kind of become a little bit more open with the cast um, as the season progressed. But, uh, you know, they decided, I think she decided to leave the show. I don't, she wasn't fired, but I think she decided to leave. She wasn't happy being there, wasn't happy in her personal life. And so she decided that she wanted to leave. She said that her husband, um, John Peters, had a lot to do with the way that she dressed. He wanted her to, you know, go braless and to wear mini skirts. And she just, you know, mini, short mini dresses and mini skirts. And it just was not her. So she was having a lot of issues issues in her personal life as well. So she decided to leave the series, as did Leonard Nimoy. They both left in uh, 1971. Now, also during the fifth season, we have to look at the character of Willie. Willie didn't have a lot to, you know, Willie was a very important part of the show, but he didn't have a lot to really say or do at times. He was just basically the strong man, did a lot of lifting, um, you know, uh, didn't really have a lot to say basically a lot of the same lines so he was kind of tired of his character peter lupus was he was not very happy with the fact that he didn't have very much to do and he just kind of felt that he was just being underused so the producers decided to go a different route in regard to him as well they decided to bring in a brand new cast member that cast member was sam elliott and he portrayed dr doug robert Sam Elliott, very, very handsome guy, still is to this very day. But uh, they were trying, the producers were going to phase out the character of Willie, and they were going to replace him entirely with the character of Doug. Now, I like Doug. Doug was a great addition to the show, very handsome, and I I liked him. I liked him a lot. I like Willie, too, though. There were a few episodes where both Doug and Willie were in the episode together. Those, in my opinion, were the best when you got to see both Doug and Willie work together. But Willie had a huge fan base, more than anyone ever realized. And so his fans began to write into the show and they began to protest. Where is Willie? Y'all trying to get rid of Willie? We're not going to have that. We're stop watching the show. We're going to boycott. We're going to protest. So they really had Willie's back as well as Peter Lupus's back. And so they decided they had to keep Willie on board. And uh, Sam Elliott, too, would leave the show in 1971. Now, the 7071 season had the most cast members of the entire seven seasons. But again, they made it work. I love seven uh, seasons, uh, season five. I love the 7071 season. One reason I'm also partial to it, I must admit, honestly, is that my mom was pregnant with me during that time. So... Yeah, I'm partial to it for that reason as well. But uh, honestly, I like all, I liked all of the cast members, all of the team that they had. They had, like I said, seven members of their team, if I'm counting it up correctly. And um, I liked it. I liked that big team. You know, I thought it was great. But by season six, the 1971-72 uh, season, rather, they only dropped, they only had four team members going forward for the rest of the series they only had four team members they had mr phelps barney and willie and then they had casey portrayed by linda day george we found out later on that her first name was linda lisa rather and her last name was actually casey casey was um 
she was really good at disguises. She was really good at, um, you know, she was an artist. She was very good at creating disguises. And she was, you know, a, I really like Linda Day George. Very pretty lady. She was a good addition to the show. Really great fit. Um, you know, had great hair. Beautiful hair. And so uh, she, again, had a great chemistry with the rest of the cast. You know, she and the, and the guys worked very well together. So that was a good choice, bringing her on board. I do sometimes wonder how it would have been had Leonard Nimoy stayed on for at least another season and it would have been Casey, Paris, Willie, Bernie, and Jim. But she was a great addition to the show. And of course, Mission Impossible, fortunately, was not a victim of the 1971 rural purge. It would stand for two more seasons. And uh, Casey, again, you know, a great addition. Now in season seven, the last season, um, Linda Day George had become pregnant. And so she was out for um, maternity leave for a while. So they decided to bring on board to be her replacement, Barbara Anderson. She portrayed Mimi Davis. She was in about seven episodes. And she, of course, was best known for portraying Eve over on Ironside for four years. She left the series in 1971. She had gotten married and she wanted to focus on her marriage. So she left the series, but she loved her time on Mission Impossible. I remember this specifically reading this in the book, the uh, dossier book that I just mentioned. She said that she'd been on Mission Impossible from the very beginning, that she would have never left the show. She said that there was so much to do. There was so much variety and depth within that show that she would have never left. She said Ironside became boring. The only thing that she really did on that show was change her hair. But that's another reason why she decided to leave and the fact that she got married. But she loved her time on Mission Impossible. And she was a great addition. Barbara Anderson was a great actress. She won an Emmy for her portrayal over um, on Ironside as Eve. Um, and so she was a great addition to the show, to Mission Impossible. She fit in very well with Jim, Barney, and Willie. And I like the Mimi episodes a lot. I always love to see a Mimi episode of Mission Impossible. She, too, was a fantastic addition. Now, the show ended after seven seasons in 1973. The last episode would air on March the 30th, 1973. The ratings were not a problem. The reason why it was canceled was because Paramount... Uh, decided that um, they would make more money syndicating the series than, you know, continuing to film new episodes. So it was a money issue. And so that's why the series came to a close when it did. It could have gone on for at least another, I'd say, could have gone on to be on for about a good nine, ten years, honestly. Maybe even 12 years like My Three Sons did. But, um... The seasons, like I said, that they did have, the seven seasons that they had, I mean, the show was, is, is wonderful to watch, but I have to be honest with you about something. Now, in season uh, five, they decide again, that's when the new producer came on board, Bruce Lansbury, and he decided to, um, I think I have his name right, Bruce Lansbury, I think that's his name, I think, I might have that wrong, actually. No, 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 I have it right. Bruce Lansbury, I wrote it down. <laughs> in season five, when he became producer, he began to gradually phase out all of the international missions. So if you notice, from season five on through season seven, all the missions were uh, local. They were all based in the United States. 
And that, of course, was to, you know, save money. But I got to tell you, uh, for me personally, in seasons one through four, I don't know about anybody else, but if I don't catch Mission Impossible from the very beginning, the episode from the very beginning, I am completely lost. I can't follow along with what they're doing. I cannot catch up with what they're doing. It's not as hard seasons five through seven, but seasons one through four, I tell you, uh, if I try to come in like 15 minutes late, uh, let alone 30 minutes late, I'm lost. I have to watch that show from the very beginning to know what they're doing and where they are. But it's a great show to watch. The entire series is available on DVD. I think also on Blu-ray as well. It comes on both MeTV and MeTV+. On MeTV, it is shown early Monday mornings at 3 a.m. Eastern Time to Central, right after The Fugitive. And it is shown on MeTV+. I think it's on Monday through Friday night, 11 o'clock Eastern. It's also on Sunday evenings at 7 o'clock. On no, 6 o'clock and 7 o'clock Eastern. So it's on a lot. I think the only night that doesn't come on MeTV Plus is on Saturday. But you can definitely watch all seven seasons of Mission Impossible, both on MeTV and MeTV Plus. The Russ revival of Mission Impossible in the late 80s from 1988 to 1990. Peter Graves was back for that. Uh, Greg Morris returned for an episode, as did Linda Day George. Greg Morris's son uh, was cast in the uh, reboot, if you will, or revival. He uh, was actually Barney uh, Barney's son in the uh, revival. Phil Morris. I unfortunately I missed the um, revival of Mission Impossible. That's because they had it on opposite the Cosby show. And that's why it didn't last longer than two seasons because the Cosby show, of course, was a big, big hit and it just really didn't stand a chance against it. So sadly, it only was on for two seasons. They did move it around quite a bit on the schedule. There was also a writer's strike during that time and that also was a factor. So they just had a lot of opposition. Uh, with the revival. I've never seen an episode. There might be some episodes on YouTube. I'm not sure. I think the entire uh, revival is available also on DVD, but I've never seen an episode, but I would like to see an episode for sure. I'm going to have to check YouTube and see if they have any episodes available. I think their Mission Impossible episode, uh, um, Mission Impossible episodes on YouTube as well, if I'm not mistaken. So uh, you can also take a look for that as well. Now, a lot of people are unaware that there was a Mission Impossible TV series. A lot of people think that uh, they only know the movies, the Tom Cruise franchise, which began in 1996. Now, another movie was released just, um, just this summer. Now, I saw, we went to the movies and we saw the very first Mission Impossible film in 1996. We were so excited to see Mission Impossible on the big screen. It was very exciting and we were just so thrilled about it. But we ended up being pretty disappointed because, first of all, none of the original cast members were part of the, of the movie. And then um, they turned Mr. Phelps into the bad guy. And when I saw that happen, Mr. Phelps was portrayed by John Voight in the film. And when I saw that happen, I was just done. We both were just pretty much done. And I haven't seen a Mission Impossible movie since. I think my sister has seen maybe one or two. I have not. Uh, 
Now, this is something I found out not too long ago, maybe about a month or more ago. For years, I thought that Tom Cruise did not ask any of the original cast members back for the movie. But he actually did ask all of the original cast members to come back for the movie. They were all still alive at the time. He asked them all to come back and be a part of the movie on one condition. They had to all be killed off within the first few minutes. Because that was going to pass the torch, if you will, over to him. Well, they all turned him down flat. They did not want anything to do with that. So none of them appeared in the movie for that reason. None of them even went to the premiere of the movie except for Greg Morris, and he walked out before it was over. So I was very surprised to find this out. Very surprised. I remember in that very first movie, though, that his entire team was killed. And I was kind of like wondering about that. I thought that was really iffy. I'm like, how are you going to do anything and it's just you. Don't remember how it all played out, but he got it done some kind of way. But yeah, his whole team was killed. Had no idea that the entire team was supposed to be the entire original cast. But uh, yeah, that that was that was crazy idea. <laughs> crazy idea. I wish that he would have, you know, wanted let them, you know, invite them all back. Let them come back under different circumstances. It would have been great to have seen all of them in the movie. That would have been wonderful. But um, sadly, several members of the cast have passed away. Uh, Greg Morris, Martin Lando, Leonard Nimoy, Stephen Hill, and Peter Graves have all passed away. Um, Leslie Ann Warren, Barbara Anderson, Peter Lupus, Barbara Bain, and Linda Day George and Lee Merriweather are still with us. Mission Impossible, again, wonderful series, wonderful show. If you've never seen it before, if all you know are the Tom Cruise movies, I highly, highly recommend checking it out. If you haven't seen it in a long time, definitely I recommend getting reacquainted with it because it is a wonderful TV series, one of the very, very best. And we couldn't wait to bring this episode to you today. We hope that you enjoy it. Um have enjoyed it rather just as much as we enjoyed putting it all together because we had a great time preparing for this. Couldn't wait to put it out there. And, uh, you know, again, hope you've all been enjoying this journey back through the 1960s with us. It's been a lot of fun. Hope you've been having a great time with us as we go back to the 1960s. We will have another episode coming up next week. Once again, in the 1960s. Thank you for joining us today. And don't forget to smash that follow button over on Spotify. Follow this podcast and join our group of followers. We would love to have you on board. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for your time. And thank you for being a part of this podcast. And we will see you on the next episode.